You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Welcome to Season 1 of Another Name for Everything with Richard Rohr, exploring the core themes of his new book, The Universal Christ. As mentioned previously, this podcast is recorded on the grounds of the Center for Action and Contemplation and may contain the quirky sounds of our neighborhood and setting. We are your hosts, Paul Swanson and Bree Stoner. We're staff members of the Center for Action and Contemplation and students of this contemplative path, trying our best to live the wisdom of this tradition amidst mouthy co-workers, paying bills, and the shifting state of our world. This is the fourth of 12 weekly episodes. Today, we will be discussing chapters five and six, titled Love is the Meaning and A Sacred Wholeness. In this conversation, we explore the nature of love as so much more than a feeling. Is love the unfolding, evolving force of creativity in our world? Let's find out. So, Richard, love has become such a romanticized word, you know, in our English language in particular, it feels so weak now, you know, because I can love somebody yes, or, really does. or I can really love carnitas tacos, you know, <laughs> so, like, so you, you, you have such a beautiful understanding of love and the way you describe it in your book. And you mention um, the paleontologist and priest mystic Teilhard de Chardin. And I wonder if you could share with us how you understand love. Oh my goodness. Oh, what a question. Mm. All I can do is dip in in one little corner. You know, the word that first comes to mind that's, that's the most comprehensive is givenness. When a thing is giving itself to you, or a person is giving themselves to you, they are loving you. Mm. And you know, we all know the difference. We all know when people even say nice words to us, but it's from a cold place, mm. or it's just being polite, or it's pro forma. And I've had people challenge me or correct me, and I still felt givenness. I felt respected, held every step of the way. So it isn't this superficial, oh, he likes me, mm-hmm. or she likes me. That's just useless. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to do with liking someone or not liking someone. You can actually dislike a person and could still give yourself to them, yeah. you see. Yeah. And we've got liking and loving all confused. Uh, th- that famous book that influenced me very early by C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, he was uh, wise enough to say that the Greek language had four words for love, you know, and that English only has one. And that's why <laughs> it's trying to hold so much that it ends up now being almost useless. Mm, too I love my Cheerios. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can give yourself to your Cheerios. but <laughs> As my kids say, they're like, well, if you love it so much, why don't you marry it? I'm like, really? It's so annoying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> why don't you marry Isn't that interesting yeah. that they've got an insight there already? Yeah. yeah. We just use it far too easily. Um, if you remember, he, he said, storge love is the love of things. When you say that's a cute little teddy bear, mm-hmm. the Greeks would use the word storge for that, you know. 
And, and that's what your little boys are making fun of. Oh, that's storge loving. And, <laughs> and, uh, they already have a hint. There's something bit bigger than that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, then there's philia, uh, the appreciation. It's a little higher level mm-hmm. where there is a valuing of the quality and beauty and truth. It's the love of friendship. It doesn't have to be intimate friendship or profound friendship, but Nevertheless, I'm, I'm kindly inclined toward that person or that plant or whatever it might be. Then there's eros, which again is the great confusion, although we do use the word somewhat that way, erotic. It specifically means physically embodied love that has a, a character of, of fascination, infatuation, attraction. addiction, attraction, all those words, mm-hmm. erotic love of things. So it's it's considered the most dangerous and the most powerful because mm-hmm. it, it has such power over us. It has this, this infatuation element, which the, the first two don't have. I'm just remembering what I can. And you know, the very word infatuation from Latin means false fire. Mm. That... Don't get too attached to that because it won't last. Mm. It's a false fire. Wow. I didn't an, know that. You know, yeah, an infatu- ignis fatuous, false fire. Then the one that uh, Paul chose to use in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape or agape. It's pronounced both ways. That was considered disinterested, altruistic, love that was given undeservedly, unmerited, and unachieved. Mm. Now, we've got to keep holding on to that as the highest love, Mm. as the divine love. And I think the Greeks even called it divine love. They didn't have our idea of Jesus or God, but they still knew there was a love that was perfect, that didn't depend on the worthiness of the object, but it was givenness irrespective of whether that deserves to be given to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pure givenness for its own sake. So we've got to keep that definition. Now, you've heard me in other places uh, distinguish it from what I call Valentine's Day love. Mm-hmm. Valentine's Day love, which is the American use of the term, is a flimsy combination of eros and storge, mm. not even that much philia. Mm. It's just this game-playing thing of attraction. Mm-hmm. Very unstable, very unreliable. And so you have, you know, the largest percentage of people who come to you for counseling are people who have been wounded by this kind of love, mm-hmm. expecting agape because their girlfriend or boyfriend said, I love you. <laughs> when all it was was eros and storge, storge love of cute because you've got a cute face. I love you. Yeah. Well, uh, that doesn't last. Yeah. Some of us have a cute face. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. The, we're doing culture and relationships and family a favor to make such distinctions. Mm. If we wouldn't think, oh, they're laying their Christian trip on me, you know? Mm. If we don't preserve the higher levels of love ourselves, 
I don't know that we have anything to teach or offer mm. civilization. But the thing is, we do have something more. And darn it, we have regressed to the lower levels ourselves. We use mm. the word love to largely mean storge philia and eros, yeah. not agape. In the way that you use love in the universal Christ, you talk about how it, love creates future possibility. Mm. You and, listen so well. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. We maybe, we maybe took some notes. Yes. <laughs> and that it works for the good of all, even when it goes wrong and awry. Mm, yes. Can you yes. unpack that further? I think it's just such an important kind of powerhouse thing to, to yeah. lean on in this, this discussion of love, especially considering what the distinctions you just made. Yes. When you give yourself to an idea, a person, an event... You tell it, I'm so happy that you exist. (laughs) I'm so happy that you are what you are. When we get that kind of mirroring, or even give that kind of mirroring to an idea, its possibilities explode, Mm. you know. When you immediately introduce the negative critical mind, which I'm tempted to do as a one on the Enneagram, you immediately limit possibilities. Oh, well, let's think of that criticism that Richard just offered. <laughs> and, then, and then you stay in that little world of criticism mm. or what it isn't, what it isn't. So love is always telling a thing or a person what it is and that this is good. I used to use this as my standard wedding homily when I used to have a lot more weddings. I, I said what you have to say to one another for the rest of your life is, I'm so happy that you exist. Mm. Just in one way or another, I'm so happy that you exist. When you can't say that to one another, you're not helping one another grow anymore. So growth happens inside of allowing, mirroring, permission giving, uh, because what that does, it, it gives you the freedom to be wrong and to make mistakes. Mm. If you're terrified of making mistakes and you create that fear already in your children, their arena for growth is going to be rather small, really, because they'll always live in fear of being wrong. Mm. And when you think of that the punitive model of parenting really persisted worldwide and is still in much of the world till very recently. You can see why we understood the Gospels that way because hmm. that was the way we raised children, by threat of punishment, by withholding of love, not by giving ourselves to the child, hmm. but withdrawing the love from the child. And I think parents thought they were doing good things that... They'd stop talking to the child. Right. Mm. And the little child sits there and, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Why isn't mommy talking to me or daddy? Withholding of that givenness, it didn't look like punishment, but it was maybe the most common form of punishment of all. And I'm sure when you're dating, you do it to one another, Mm -hmm. to your partner. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to treat him cold or her cold right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we learn these methods early to be able, of course, to still give ourselves when we've just been hurt. It is heroic. I'm not, 
I'm not making that easy or light. You have to do it wrong an awful lot of times and get trapped in that little hole of negativity uh, before you want to eventually buy out of it. I'm not helping myself mm. by living in this stingy place because mm. that's what it is. It's real stingy. Walled off. Yeah. Withholding, withholding, mm. withholding. I'm not going to smile at her. She might think I wasn't hurt by what she just did. Right, right. Once you're in that mode of non-smiling, non-caring, non-touching, non-responding, it only gets worse, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I can hear my wife saying amen right now because that is, for me, that was my temptation when I'm in that place is to withdraw. And and, and not give of myself. And that's been the the best mirroring Mm -hmm. for me is learning how destructive that is. Not just for my wife, but for myself. Mm. It's terribly dangerous when you're considered, like I'm afraid I am, a person of importance or significance or Mm. authority, use whatever word. When you're considered that, you know that your non-smile carries a lot of weight. Do you understand? Mm. It's hard not to use it. It's terrible. It's just terrible. (laughs) I know we've been talking at the personal level here, um, but I... I also think it's interesting that what you just said about, you know, love allows mistakes. It makes room for, for that. Um, even at a cosmic level, like even thinking how Teilhard uses that phrase that the physical structure of the universe is love, you know, to think that in evolution, we're, we're kind of still figuring stuff out. That gives me a lot of hope. Doesn't it? It, Doesn't it? it, it well helps put. create a sense yes. of trust that, you know, maybe this this great experiment that we're all part of <laughs> and are participating in, there's room for these these moments right now, you know, that can cause so many of us to to lose hope when we look around us politically or, you know, in the world and have that moment of how could this possibly be good, you know, when things are this dark. Um, but that frame helps me, I guess is what I'm trying to say, to, to put it in that frame of love and evolution. Mm-hmm. Evolution is the language of growth and change. Mm. You would have thought we would have always had it. Mm. You would have thought it would have come naturally to us. Now, our theological way of saying what Teilhard said, the physical structure of the universe is love, is let us create in our image. (laughs) That God, who is a cycling of infinite outpouring and infinite receiving between three. That's saying the physical structure of the universe is love in theological language. Mm -hmm. Now, I know most people don't think in a Trinitarian way. I probably think they're too easily, too quickly. But we had it. But is it any surprise that most of Christianity was not very Trinitarian? Mm -hmm. Theoretically, yes. Practically, no. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't understand that the very physical nature of the universe is love. And this is where science and theology are coming together. Mm-hmm. My God, we're good friends. We're saying the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> what a gift. I like this line that you say in your book. You say, forgiveness might be the very best description of what God engenders in humanity. And 
You also well, say I'm that. I'm so glad I said that. <laughs> it's a, it's I am. Line. I didn't know I said that. I'm glad I <laughs> you did. did. You did a good All job right. with that one. <laughs> uh, you also say that without forgiveness, there's no real hope there's for no. a future for us. Mm-hmm. And so, and you just brought up the Trinity. I, I just wonder what what role is understanding? How does understanding the universal Christ allow us to have a greater capacity to forgive and have that forgiving mm. nature? Well, if we really begin to experience that all that our eyes see is the givenness of God, the, the absolute self-emptying of God into visibility. When we start experiencing God as operating from a worldview of abundance and not scarcity, mm. basically a forgiving person, forgive means to give ahead of time, mm. right? to give up front, to not wait for the moment where it's earned. We were given an image of God who was withholding, who was punitive, who was even torturing. Uh, can you realize how, well, of course you can, how a creation spiritual, I'm looking at those leaves outside the window right mm. now, uh, that there's already, there's no withholding on God's part. That creates in the soul a worldview of abundance, not a worldview of scarcity. Mm. And I dare say, I think most of us were raised with a Christian worldview of scarcity. Mm. There is enough grace to go around. There is enough forgiveness to go around. It has to be earned. Mm -hmm. We could not imagine an infinitely loving God. And I'm told the brain can't imagine infinite notions. So maybe it's not even our fault. But uh, again, here's where science is helping us. Mm-hmm. Just the, the extent of the universe, the, the uh, trying to imagine a single light year. Mm-hmm. A sing- with the mind can't imagine <laughs> it. And we're talking about 176 light years from here to there. Oh, come on. It's just... Our mind has been blown by by astrophysics now, yeah. mm. and it's allowing us to think in infinite concepts. And we've we've got to believe that God is bigger than what God created. <laughs> we've got to have a God at least as big as this infinitely seeming universe. Mm. So now to understand God as forgiving. Mm-hmm. giving givenness itself mm. forgiveness itself god doesn't choose to forgive now and then when people have earned it mm-hmm. <laughs> or it isn't forgiveness anymore forgiveness is the permanent state of god toward reality yeah that that would convert any heart mm. that spent long enough time reflecting on it who wouldn't fall in love with such a universe and such a God? So that's why I keep saying we're still in baby Christianity. We're still, we're, we're trying to fit an infinite God into a worldview of scarcity, mm-hmm. which is meriting, uh, accomplishing, achieving. It's always a zero-sum game. And there's never enough to go around. Never enough. Wasn't enough grace for gays, you know. Mm-hmm. Not enough forgiveness for mm-hmm. people in a second marriage. Not, 
come on, just stop it. That's mm. you talking. Mm. That's not God talking. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and would you would you respect any God who was less than that? Right. How could it be God yeah. if it's picking and choosing, you know? Yeah. It, liking feels... white skin but disliking black skin. You know, and the, and the fathers of our country made statements to that effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are permanently marked. And these were the Enlightenment people, the mm-hmm. deists. You know? There are people that are simply stamped for all eternity with inferiority. Mm. Yeah. I, I, that's why I think, I mean, evolution is so helpful. I love how you say that, too, that we're at baby Christianity. That's exciting for me because it makes me think that there's hope that we are shifting into a new paradigm that we oh, could yeah. that we could participate in changing the the limitations of religion yeah. the the small thinking the exclusive thinking and i think so many of us who have grown up with the internet kind of had this weird experience of already having a felt sense of weeness because the the borders that used to work to keep us separate from each other we transcended those. The internet helped us yes, transcend those. There's yeah, a, there's well a sense put, of well planetary mm-hmm. uh, belonging. And so yeah. I, I often feel discouraged with, you know, thinking that there's any hope that Christianity mm-hmm. can catch up mm-hmm. to what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, see, here's one, I hope, gift of this notion of the cosmic Christ to the universal Christ. If God and grace are inherent in creation, then this unfolding is going to happen with or without its formal proclamation. Hmm. Now, we in the church might be the formal proclaimers, but when you see how poorly we've proclaimed it, how stingily we withheld it, uh, I think God's work is going to continue to be done under a secular banner Hmm. in many cases. People will still be healed, Because I've gone through so many health issues in the last year, I'm just so aware of the generosity of a lot of doctors and nurses. I suspect they're earning huge salaries. Okay, maybe they're not. I don't care. But boy, I experience a lot of gratuitous caring. Hmm. This one nurse calls me every week just to check on everything. Hmm. One called yesterday to go through all my meds. Now, this will have this side effect. This could have that side effect. Don't take this with that. Oh, it's horrible. But it's wonderful because I was getting impatient. I kept saying in the phone, are we done yet? (laughs) (laughs) I don't care about all this. And she, now just stay with me a little longer. We want to help you. And she Mm. really did, Mm. you know. She doesn't even know me. Mm. She's the universal Christ. Mm. I'll probably Mm. never meet her face to face. This is what's going to win the day. That's the universal Christ. It doesn't have to have the label Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm still going to say you're quite blessed if you have the ability to name what's happening. Mm -hmm. That's bringing it to consciousness. So I'm not saying organized Christianity should throw itself out. Mm -hmm. But that it's always going to be what Jesus said at the beginning. It would be 11 and illumination and Mm -hmm. assault. That isn't the whole meal. Mm. (laughs) Salt isn't the meal. Leaven isn't the dough. 
the light is that which illumines, but it isn't an object in itself. So Jesus gave us metaphors to tell us to expect a, a humble role in society. Mm. Uh, we don't have to convert everybody to our... It's a privilege for me to be a Christian. It's no burden. Mm. It's not fear. It's not, uh, you know, it's a privilege. But by the same token, I don't feel I have to talk other people into carrying my privilege. You know? right. <laughs> if they don't want to, that's okay. Yeah. As long as they let the flow happen through them. Like that nurse on the phone with me for almost an hour yesterday, mm. talking about stupid pills. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else? So, Richard, as we've been going through and talking about, you know, we've gone to universal metaphors and then to personal, kind of back and forth, and trying to hold both. And in your book, you talk about very personally about having very little sense of spiritual feeling. In, during recent seasons. Oh, yeah. Really, the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. Go ahead. Can, no, you, can yeah. you speak a little more to that? Because I think a lot of folks go through seasons where, yes. you know, sometimes it's very short, Thank sometimes you. it's very long, um, but it's all part of the evolution of our own journey. Yeah. I wonder if you could speak to that. You know, I think perhaps because I had so, so many strong rushes of feeling and desire and hope as a young man, I probably unknowingly presumed, well, this will just continue and increase. Mm. Certainly that has not been the case in the last 10, 15 years. I have very little high, warm emotion. It really is pretty much putting one foot in front of the other. I would say when I left the house this morning, oh God, they're going to interview me for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, more talking. <laughs> so I do it not out of oppressive duty, but more just because I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And God has given me the grace to talk this way that seems to help people. So I should do it. But I won't leave here a few minutes from now feeling real gooey about how wonderful I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't that wonderful what I just did? We'll get gooey for you. <laughs> <laughs> gooey. What a word. We got huh? you covered. <laughs> a lot Gosh, of gooeyness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So most of it is just like like you. Duty, obligation. But it's much less burdensome because now I've found a, a meaning and a beauty in it. But I don't want to give people the impression I walk around just, you know, everything is beautiful. Mm. Jesus loves me. (laughs) I don't feel Jesus, God's love most of the time. Mm. Doesn't mean I'm not enjoying it. Can you make Mm -hmm. uh, it's fruits. I'm enjoying its fruits, but, um, and that's why I can be easily pulled into a moment of negativity, resentment, um, where I'm not enjoying the moment mm-hmm. because I I live without a lot of ecstatic feeling. And um, you go through years of saying, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? But I thank you for giving me a chance to say that because I think that's true of every marriage. That's true of every relationship with anything you love. And if I'm to believe the mystics, 
it's totally predictable mm-hmm. in one's relationship to God mm-hmm. that God must withdraw all feeling or you don't really learn to love the other. You don't love the other. You love what the other is giving you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And until you make that decision, oh, well, of course I love God. I get these gooey feelings all the time. Well, th- that's not loving God. That's loving the experience of God. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't think you're ready for that till you've been on the journey for some years Mm. but there's little days of practice i'm sure you're both young people there's still probably many days where if you had your druthers you wouldn't be changing diapers or or watching the kid you Mm. know watching the kid but you do it Mm. you do it for love and you don't feel it Mm -hmm. Mm. that's when you become a pure conduit a purer conduit, at least. That's so helpful because I think we're so conditioned oh, to oh. to kind of look at happiness as the goal of everything. Everything, you know. And That's you say, narcissism, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're very narcissistic, but even spiritually narcissistic. <laughs> yes, because you talk about contemplation as, and this is a quote: allowing us to stop uh, our superficial minds long enough to see the beauty, allow the truth, and protect the inherent goodness of what is, whether it profits mm. me, pleases me, or not. And mm. I just think we that's so profound for me. Is but, that in the book? Yeah. Well, I'm glad I wrote it. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I listened to it and said, oh, that's good. That sounds like, like a good book. <laughs> but, but that part of whether it profits or pleases me or not. Yeah. You know, that, so, so could it doesn't you, have to please yeah, me. Yeah, that seems to be... Um, so much of a so much more of a healthy perspective of of really what yeah. contemplation engenders in us yeah. to stop being obsessed with what yeah. pleases me what or pleases me. my personal bliss mm, you know then you're unhappy when it doesn't please you right. and most things are not going to perfectly please you yeah. so do you want to go through life unhappy most of the time Then stop stating your preferences. Mm -hmm. Now, I know we say, oh, I love that, like you apparently say to your kids. (laughs) Uh, And I do it too. Oh, I love this meal, or I love this uh, beautiful painting. But just don't get too attached to that it matters to the world whether you love it or not. Mm -hmm. If it keeps you positive and flowing, good, good. Mm -hmm. But if it's just, Oh, now I have to have that piece of art because I love it so much mm-hmm. and I'm going to love it every day hanging in my living room. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Mm. That's helpful, though, just I think for so many of us who, you know, I mean, I think about the last several years in my own life, you know, I've gone through a divorce, I've gone through lots of life changes, and there is this kind of sober growing up that's happening right now of learning to accept my responsibilities and even life being difficult as mm. as part of it you know that i can feel that there's that little piece yes. of me that's like wait wait, wait this isn't I fun i didn't buy <laughs> this the is, end of this this is really hard and the i'm ordinariness yeah. of holiness yeah yeah so thank you for that um, perspective you know i think that's one reason if i can say so that the charismatic movement died mm. for the most part it was way too tied to gooey feelings. Mm-hmm. And that's just a sure recipe to keep people at stage one. It's an authentic stage, but it's not supposed to be a permanent stage. Mm-hmm. 
It's like thinking the church can exist on a perpetual Pentecost Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't love God anymore. You love what God does for you. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, a word that's kind of out of fashion, but the one that comes to mind for me is obedience. Like there's an obedience mm. that you're living into when it's n- it's not in it's not out of response to what you'll get, but it's just out of response of kind of being in that field of love. Would you say that is mm-hmm. a helpful reframing, or is am I off my rocker? Oh. I mean, you normally are off. I know. <laughs> true. True. You know, if I understood you rightly, uh, that's exactly it. Again, you know, because I had to study Latin and Greek, I so often get the roots of words. Audire mm-hmm. is the word obedience. means to uh, listen to. So an obedient person is a person who's listening to reality. Listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more than being dutiful, but just letting it have its way with us letting it give us its messages. It's being responsive. Mm. Maybe that's the best word. Instead of commandeering reality. You know, I I hate to pick on politicians so much, but they've just become such a living example of how not to do it. Mm. By their very profession, they think their job is to commandeer reality. And it leads them to tell lies about almost everything to make reality into what they need it to be, to, to win, however they define winning, which is usually very superficial. That's the opposite of obedience. I just, yeah, they're not obedient to reality. Mm-hmm. They're not listening to the, the separated mothers and children on the American border. Yeah. Mm. They're not listening at all. They're, so they might think, oh, I'm obedient to church law. Well, you're not obedient to divine law. Mm-hmm. And divine law is written in reality. Yeah. Yeah, reality. Yeah. Paying attention to the, the laws written versus the spirit that is actually yes, trying to be yes, exactly. manifest. Exactly. It's so ironic. There are the very people imposing the law mm. who have such incapacity to listen mm. to reality Mm. speaking of uh politicians can we talk a little bit about the idea from ken wilbur of growing up and waking up that you that you mention in the book you you know there's more than that too you just want to concentrate on two well i mean you can share the whole enchilada ritual (laughs) we have nowhere else to be yeah he goes on you know to um Growing up, waking up. Cleaning up? Cleaning up. Well, cleaning up is normally the first one. That's why I was forgetting it. Uh, Most religion stops at cleaning up. Mm -hmm. Just trying to feel like you're moral. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't gamble. I don't look at Playboy. I don't steal. And that's Mm -hmm. good. But uh, most religion never goes beyond cleaning up. Even the wonderful Jewish books of Leviticus and Numbers are all about cleaning up. Mm-hmm. And there's no waking up yet. Because that takes a while to get there. Growing up is what we would now call psychological, moral, uh, mental development, intellectual development, stages of consciousness. Education, probably be the best word. Waking up is overcoming 
your sense of being a separate self. Mm. Waking up is rather rare. In fact, it's as rare among liberals as it is among conservatives. Because liberals think of growing up as waking Mm. up. And they aren't the same. Just because you got a PhD, just because you're a Supreme Court justice. I mean, the very fact that we can have liberal and conservative Supreme Court justices tells us it's not a high level of consciousness. Mm. If it was absolute truth, they'd always agree. We're not dealing with absolute truth. We're dealing with relative truth. But they don't know that. They think it's absolute truth. And they are the purveyors of conservative absolute truth or liberal absolute truth. The mystic is the one who moves beyond that and again reads things in their wholeness. I doubt if you could survive real long as a Supreme Court justice. Well, that's right, they're in for life, so you could survive. But um, you wouldn't be able to work with the team too much if you were at the mystical level because you would have a critical statement to both the liberals and the conservatives. You'd say, I critique you on this, I agree with you on this. I critique you on that, I disagree with you on that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can vote. You know, uh-huh. that, Maybe that's what you'd have to do. That's waking up. And that's a small percentage of humanity that lives in what we'd call the body of Christ, the collective, the historical social, the unitive, the communion of saints, where your we is more real to you than your I. Hmm. That's high-level conversion. I don't know that I'm there yet. I know I dip into it now and then. Now, showing up can probably happen in all three stages. Where I give away to the world, I show up as a a helpful person, a a contributing person. I pay back. Mm -hmm. Someone who's cleaned up and stopped stealing and stopped lying, they can probably belong to the Rotary Club or the Lions Club and and really contribute to the society. You You don't have to be a mystic. I'm not putting down the Rotary Club or the Lions Club, but these are just social organizations that are good for society. They don't demand a high degree of mystical union, you see. Mm -hmm. That's waking up. So um, growing up has largely just emerged as a science in the last few hundred years. Mm -hmm. The real maturing of people. And we, it's almost coterminous with the development of psychology Mm -hmm. and all the things like the Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, uh, Spiral Dynamics, all these wonderful tools are tools that help us to chart growing up, Mm. to guide growing up. So I think that's why we're so infatuated with growing up that you can see why a lot of people substitute it for waking up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But you've heard me say, this is why I can't give up on, on religion as much as I'm critical of it. Because in its higher sense, religion alone is prepared to talk about waking up. Mm. There's nothing to unite with if we're all separate beings. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Except you will be nice to your friends. It'll go out a few degrees, hopefully. But was it Carol Gilligan who said, self-love 
to love of group to universal love is the normal sequence. Uh, we're not even good at self-love. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right. So how can you be good at group love? You know, much less universal love. And my critique of organized Christianity or any religion is I still think it's getting less, I'm going to pick a number, less than 10% of its people to universal love. Mm. Mm. Most think they're wonderful because they've gotten to self-love or group love. Yeah. I had never thought about what you just said about... What? The growing up, how the toolkit has really arrived in the last hundred oh, years. Yes. And here, religion's been around for so long, and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the toolkit is much more kind of effusive, or like, you can't, it's not as concrete in ways. You kind of just cultivate a sense of uh, yeah. who you are to receive, to, <clears throat> to be on the path yeah. of humility, to be open to waking up. Yeah. Would you say that's true? Or, and is there ways that we can, those within religious circles could help Uh, till the ground for waking up we have to both point and exemplify the larger stages that's what Gandhi was doing that's what Martin Luther King was doing Uh Um, uh, you have to have people who are living models of it Uh, or you can't imagine that it it exists Uh Uh, now most think most progressive people think they were just educated into that by more information, more information, more information. I've met too many arrogant university professors to believe that mm-hmm. anymore. I've met some wonderful university professors. But the confusion of education with transformation is rather common among those of us who are educated. Mm. Mm. It's hard not, you know, the ego is so inflated yeah. by having an MA or a PhD or, I mean, I've recently met people who have four and five PhDs. And at least one that I'm thinking of isn't a very loving person. <laughs> <laughs> He's just into his PhDs. Mm-hmm. So it's important we keep saying that without putting people down. They just don't know about waking up. They don't know about the higher levels. They've seen so much cheap religion. Mm. They think it's all cheap religion. That's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Did I respond to your question at all or come I back? I think so. I think no. you responded to, I mean, even in the response itself, the way you were framing it, it's just, it's not something that is yeah. do step one, two, three, no, and you're going to help Johnny over there wake up. Yeah, it's not a no. part of a Sunday school program. It's, yeah. it's again, Maybe. It's a different mind. It's yes, a contemplative mind yeah. and the whole. And that's why life and suffering and love mm. will be better teachers than Sunday school or catechism class. Yeah, I'm not uh. against Sunday school, but it's still based on the education model. Again, that give them correct information. Mm-hmm. Now, all three of us, we're glad we got that correct information given to us very young. But look how much unlearning, all three of us from different denominations. But my gosh, we've spent much of our life unlearning while still more deeply appreciating the core. Yeah. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. I still deeply appreciate my Catholic beginnings, even though I would understand almost all of it very different Mm. than the way the nuns taught it to me. But you have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you have that. I mean, we've been talking about this, but you have this line where you say, 
that we uh, actually avoid God while mm. talking religion nonstop. Mm. And that's kind of what you're talking about yeah, right now. Yeah, I'm afraid mm-hmm. so. Religion is, and I'm not being clever, is the best substitute possible almost for the exact experience of God. Because it's like an inoculation where you get just enough of the disease so you don't get the real thing, you know? Oh my God, that's good. <laughs> yeah. But it is, much of religion is an inoculation from the real thing. Because, mm-hmm. oh, oh, okay, I, I taught Jesus. I go to church on Sunday, I read the Bible, mm. and there's not been a moment of transformative experience mm. sometimes. Mm. Yeah. I remember sharing with you um, not long ago just some, some of my challenges and um, some of my story, and you said it's, these experiences are uh, experiences of God at a cellular level. Yes, mm. yes, yes. At such an embodied way. Yes. And, and for somebody who's grown up in the Christian tradition and that heady religion, yes. that helps me because it is a shift. You know, these experiences yes, of is. great love and suffering are kind of that cellular mm. experience. I, I'm convinced that women of the species come to that easier and earlier. Mm. I don't know if it's menstruation, labor, menopause, uh, seeing their bodies um, made into an object by men so often, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they have to pay so much more attention to their body. Mm -hmm. We men can basically grow up ignoring it as long as we're good at football. (laughs) We don't need to really listen to it. I don't know what it's like to like count the days between your periods mm. that you have to be listening to your body. I don't have mm. to do that. Mm. There's no periods in my, well, there is now. <laughs> now, now I'm having hot Careful. flashes. Careful. I had three today already. <laughs> wow. uh, but even that, the hot flash phenomenon, mm. I become in a different way listening to my body. Mm. Here it comes. Now I know what it's going to mean for the next three minutes. Mm. Mm. It's a different way of accessing the moment. Mm. Yeah. Listening to your body. Yeah. Yeah. But I had to wait till 75. <laughs> what else? Well, I think that we are kind of rounding out here, Richard. Do you have any other questions before we conclude with our, our final? Well, I mean, you bring up the body. And I think that that's one of the shifts of contemplation that I so appreciate right now is just how we're we're focusing so much more on embodiment. Embodiment. Yeah. And um, so I guess as as we round out to a close, to shift our question of, you know, when have you encountered Christ today? How have you lately encountered Christ in your own embodiment? I mean, you're talking about Mm. taking these pills and Mm. having these you know, hot flashes and all these side yeah. effects. Well, it's it's been really humiliating this year to uh, both because of cancer and heart attack and being put on all these medicines to just constantly experience my body as weak. Mm-hmm. I think of all my life as a young person where I saw old men, old women walk down the street, but that was always... Someone else. Someone else. Yeah. And how I lacked in sympathy. But you know what? I could not have sympathy because I didn't know how helpless that feels. Mm. I'm much more noticing of old people now because mm. now I know, oh my gosh, how they feel, you mm. know. 
Oh, isn't it sad that we have to sort of come to that embodiment moment ourselves before we can normally have an empathy for what other people are going through? Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, already it's now it's a daily thing of just dealing with my body. Mm. Whereas most of my life, celibacy included i just ignored my body mm. it just mm-hmm. it was just a bother it was just <laughs> it just and again i wasn't into competitive sports people always liked me for my ideas so i just lived in my world of ideas yeah. and pretended i didn't have a body but uh this is a gift god's giving me in my final years that i uh, i have to pay attention to it I have to listen to it. I have to take the right pills the right time of day. Now I have to go and get on a treadmill. I mean, just the word of a treadmill. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but um, it's my spiritual practice now. It's very much tied to embodiment. The beautiful music you're listening to is provided by Bird Talker. Another Name for Everything with Richard Rohr is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation, thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend to help create a bigger and more inclusive community. To learn more about Father Richard and to receive his free daily meditations in your electronic mailbox, visit cac.org. If you want to hear more about these ideas as part of an online community, Consider participating in the live webcast of our spring conference, March 28th through the 31st. For details and to register, visit cac.org events. From the high desert of New Mexico, we wish you peace and every good. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.